My name is Joe Escobedo, and with me on the show is Chad Sotelo. Thanks for being on the show, Chad. Good to be here, Joe. Thanks for having me. So Chad is the general manager of Electrolux in the Philippines. And so for those of you who are not familiar, I actually interviewed Chad when I was at Forbes. And so it's, this is kind of a follow-up on that. He gave some very good insights, but I think today we're talking about a little bit about, you know, doing business in the Philippines, your transition from, you know, marketing to now a general manager role. Um, and also want to get your thoughts on, you know, positioning a you know premium brand in a price sensitive market so first off you know last time we spoke you talked about the um you know one of your biggest challenges was understanding your, your customer so has that changed since uh <laughs> since we last met a couple of years ago uh absolutely not joe and in fact um with what's been happening it becomes a lot more critical than ever uh, to ensure that the brand and the business survives. Um, so much has changed uh, with the consumer in the past three to four months. And it's been amazing to see how, you know, how consumers have quickly adjusted to things that, you know, we thought in the Philippines in particular, that would take a couple of years, if not a decade to change, like e-commerce for one. Mm. Like e-commerce literally exploded in, in industries that previously were just an afterthought, appliances being one of them. So it's a lot more critical now, especially since we have a lot less resources, you know, as companies and consumers start crimping down and start saving on putting in your resources into few things that really count. So getting to know your consumers um, faster uh, is a lot more important now than it used to be, and it was already important prior to that. Mm. That's a very good point. You mentioned kind of the rise of e-commerce, particularly most recently with, with COVID. Um, what are some of the ways in which you are, you know, finding out more about your customer during these times where they're spending more time on online, they're making more purchases online. What are some of the ways that you or the team are, you know, better getting these customer insights? Well, um, you know, given that face-to-face -face restrictions are, are, you know, currently in place, even with the partial lockdowns, um, we've come to rely a lot on one, social media, obviously. Um, we tend to have a lot more in-depth conversations now um, with people who comment, with people who um, send direct messages. Uh, for the people who do call our contact center for after-sales service, we, we try to take advantage of you know, these opportunities where people reach out to us uh, to ask a few questions, to gauge sentiment. Um, I've also made it a habit because one of the changes that have happened in the Philippines is that a lot of virtual stores have popped up through messaging apps like Viber, for example, WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger communities. Um, and it's a hotbed of, you know, real time local community transactions. And it's a fantastic place for you to pick up some, you know, good insights on what people are buying, why. Um, it's also interesting to see on, you know, how people, contrary to perception, um, are willing to buy, pay a little bit more of a premium for things that offer convenience and safety in their point of view. So, you know, um, we've, uh, we've come to rely a lot on these kinds of interactions um, and it's been really helpful. It's, it's, a, it's a challenge because we're also used to the traditional way of knocking on people's doors, holding FGDs, holding in homes. But um, this new landscape is actually making it a little bit easier 
the thing you have to contend with is the flood of information because there's mm. just so much happening out there that you know you really have to pick and choose where you go and who you listen to. So I think two very good points from that, and I want to highlight, and then I want to hand it over to Mia. First of which was you said, you know, on social media, you're getting a lot of information from there. But not only are you gathering information, you are having a conversation with the customer, which I think very Absolutely. few brands do, and um, we're doing it very effectively. So I think that's a great initiative. And also the customer service. I always preach about, you know, the best insights um, come from your customer service teams. And I love that you guys are being proactive in terms of asking questions about their sentiment, um, their feelings right about now such that you know it helps you drive um, better marketing, better positioning, and just better empathy in general. So uh, two points I really wanted to highlight, which I think are very, very good. Um, I know Mia was very excited when you were mentioning a couple of things, so I'll hand it over to her. She had a couple of questions probably. Sure. Yeah, so I can just imagine the kind of information you're getting on social media. That's where all the Filipinos live, essentially, especially right now. Um, exactly. So, how have you guys been filtering through this information, both in trying to make sure that the insights that you're getting is relevant to elect Electrolux and making sure that Electrolux is standing out in the minds of the consumers? Well, you know, um, one of the reasons why we find the conversations that we have coming in from an after sales or customer service perspective is because at least based on my opinion, um, a conversation on customer service automatically eliminates um, any kind of perspective from a pre-purchase standpoint, right? So there's no discussion on price. It's all about the consumer experience. It's all about very real problems that people are facing. Um, and like, for example, one of the most common problems we encountered in customer service is that during the lockdown was that people would call and say, my ref doesn't seem to be working because it's not cooling as much anymore. And when you probe, you find a consistent pattern that because of the rush of people to buy a lot of food uh, in anticipation of having no food for the next couple of weeks mm -hmm. due to the lockdown, is that they've overstocked their freezer and that they've blocked a couple of the cold vents and it just drops the performance of the refrigerator. So, you know, um, we've, counseled a lot of consumers that by just rearranging and rebalancing what's in their freezer versus what's in the refrigerator um the, the refrigerator performs well and they've even passed on the information to other to their friends that don't have electrolux refrigerators and it works right so um for so that's why for one thing we do focus a lot on the after sales or the customer service questions because that's where it really boils down to how the consumer experience is being delivered by our, our products and that's really helpful. Um, on social media, for those who have not purchased it yet, um, we really try to ask the folks, oh, what are you buying this refrigerator for? Or what are you buying this uh, chest freezer for, for example? Um, it, you know, and then the, the pandemic really allows, you know, as people observe, consumers to focus on what in their minds are the most critical things. Like, for example, we had a lot of folks buy the front load washing machines because they don't want to risk going out and giving their um, clothes to laundromats because one, they've been shut down and two, even when they started to open, there was this fear that I don't like my clothes to be mixed up with other people's clothes because it might have the virus. Now, whether that's scientifically based, uh, proven or not, it's a real concern by people. So. Um, we really try to drill down and ask consumers, what's the purpose of you buying this this washing machine or this uh, refrigerator? And we, we, we dovetail from that. 
So once again, I think you bring up a very, very good point, which I want to highlight is, you know, I speak with a lot of marketers and they think that, you know, marketing and the messaging has to be very sexy and like, you know, all of this. But I think you bring up a very good point, a very beautiful example of just addressing people's questions or challenges around, you know, the uh, issues with performance of the fridge, which is obviously right now, you know, people said people are overbuying. So they're, they're packing their fridge in too much. So this is one, one thing that you said is, is not something that, you know, is super, it's like super like, you know, sexy, but it's like super practical. It's an answering something that is a major issue with them. So I, I love that example um, that you just shared with us. Um, Mia, anything? Yeah, thanks, Joe. In fact, um, one of the plain guidelines we've used in, you know, and in, in during the lockdown is that all of our brand activities have to be useful meaningful or relevant or a combination of the three like you know uh, I, I've come from marketing and you know we've had those campaigns before which are all about the long-term brand mm. you know the brand purpose which are very important but in a lockdown situation and in a pandemic situation we strive to be useful relevant uh, and meaningful and it's, it's paid off in spades because the interactions that we've been getting uh, on the little content that we've been able to put out has really been, you know, quite good. So that's the simple guideline that we've been using. And so far, it's been working for us. No, I think it's 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 great. Like I said, it, it's simple, but then it's powerful as well. So I love that you've implemented that. A um, couple of different things because I want to talk about is you mentioned kind of your transition because you come from a, a marketing background, now taking over yeah. general manager role. What was the biggest transition or learning um, from making that that jump? Uh, it's fighting the urge to not be a duplicate head of marketing. Uh, when, when I was transitioning into this role, I spoke with my mentor um, and I asked the question, so what are going to be the challenges that I'll be facing? And he's like, uh, you're going to be tempted to write a marketing brief. You're going to be tempted to write the script of, of the storyboard or to, to give input to a 15 second commercial. Um, that for me was the biggest challenge because you know you you spend so much time in marketing you've developed your own certain style of doing things um and you know uh, my marketing team actually did say we're a bit scared chad that you'd micromanage us and you know which really put things in perspective for me because i hate being micromanaged um but there is this real temptation to really put your foot in and say mm, i think this is the way we should be doing things so you know um it's the big, so the biggest challenge I've had transitioning from marketing to general management is, is really um, letting go, um, being able to treat them the way I would treat any other of the functions, which is to give direction, to give support, ask what help they need, and then get out of their way. That's been the biggest challenge so far. I think that's a good lesson for, for any leader, any entrepreneur. I think I face the same thing because, you know, I love writing. Um, if I could, I would write all the social copy for everything on my, you know, my company. But it just doesn't make sense anymore. It's it's not it's not feasible for for me to do that. Um, it's not the most productive use of my time. So, you know, I work with very very smart folks like Mia, who you know are far better than I am. And so I think that's one of the advantages of working with smart people is, like you said, you know, um, hire them, groom them, and then let them do what they want because ultimately that gives you more time to focus on other areas which you know what, you know, probably more important or crucial to the business. So very, very good point um, there. And Mia, <laughs> Mia, do you want to jump in? I, I, yeah, I, I'm smiling right now because I, I love how you're both talking about this kind of building an honest relationship, 
trusting your people because I feel like I personally think that's so important in, in, in leaders. And I, I wanted to ask like, how, uh, how do you think, what, what, what do you think is the role of leaders now in creating this kind of culture of trust and championing engagement across, across organizations and with your direct people? It's, it's, you know, and it's also been a really good learning experience for me because, you know, when, when, when I really forced myself to let go, it's, it's really an experience of learning on how new things are being done now. Like, you know, I've been in marketing since 2006 um, and my team is significantly younger than me, but the way they tackle, you know, the, the marketing problems that still happen until now is, is quite different and quite amazing. And more effective than I, how I used to do it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's also been a really good learning experience. And, you know, um, it really drives home the point that just let your people go and support them. You know, they'll, they'll, they'll do fantastic work and you learn it the same way. Yeah, no, I think that's, once again, great lessons for any, any entrepreneur or, or business leader. Um, another thing I want to get your thoughts on, you talked about it earlier, is, you know, right now people are willing to pay a premium for convenience. Um, but has that always been the case? I know, you know, trying to, you know, pitch or market a premium product in the Philippines, has that always been the case where it's been very easy to sell it or has there been some price sensitive um, challenges you faced in the past? Well, the Philippines is uh, still a very price sensitive market. You know, we still have, you know, in the appliances industry, we still have a significant portion of our business in the, what we call the semi-automatic or the manual machines, right? Like, you know, washing machines that aren't, you know, in the fully automatic range. Um, and that's because of a certain price point. Um, so that's always going to be um, a challenge. Um, but, you know, Supporting that is the fact that the, the middle class, so to speak, has been growing quite fast and quite well. So you have a segment of the population that has a slightly higher uh, you know, chunk of disposable income. Um, and what we found is that you know, the market in the Philippines uh, goes for value and how they define value has changed from being merely a mere, being merely a price point discussion to what's in it for me standpoint. Like you know, I have uh, two hundred dollars with me right now, for example. Um, and if you're gonna offer me something that's priced at two dollars and two hundred fifty dollars, then convince me that the fifty dollars is worth it. There's a segment of the population that will say, I don't, I can't go beyond two hundred, and that's fine. But there's a growing segment of the population that says. I have 200, but I might be willing to chip in an extra 50 bucks if you convince me it's worth it. And that's where the challenge lies, right? <clears throat> a lot of times we just keep on communicating new features, new products. Um, but what we've discovered is to convince the people that are willing to shell out an extra 50 bucks is what's in it for me means how does it make my life simpler? How does it make my life better? And the appliances industry has been a little bit slow in catching up to this, you know, communication shift, so to speak, but we are seeing it now. Um, so the market is always going to be price challenged. Like it's going to be difficult to sell a thousand dollar appliance versus like 250, 300, but there are a lot of opportunities to drive it. And, you know, it's been working well, not just for us, but for everyone actually. No, it's a very good point. I think uh, not just in the appliance field. I work with a lot of you know major tech companies, and it's the exact same thing. They focus so much on the products and the the features that they forget about the actual benefits, or as you rightly said, what's in it for the consumer. So 
that'll, I guess, like I said, make the shift between, you know, giving, giving up the extra $50 when they see the additional benefit that's going to add to their lives, like making it simpler or saving time, or as you say, convenience. So all these different elements can, you know, add the value. And I think it also helps that, you know, in appliances, the, the usage of the product is expected to last for about five to 10 years. So, for example, in refrigerators, when people want to buy a small refrigerator, you know, our, 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 our messaging goes around the fact of, well, this is going to be a five to 10 year purchase. Um, if you anticipate that you'll have kids already in five to 10 years, then wouldn't it be better for you to invest in a slightly larger refrigerator so you won't have to worry about it so it's these kinds of you know messaging that seems to resonate well because it's anchored on a real life need even if it's in the future but people can relate to that so that's how we go about it rather than well we have the best technology in the refrigerator that allows you to keep your food fresh that's important but what resonates more is when you attach it to a real life stage or an anticipated life experience so that's how we've been doing it so far I think, I think it's a beautiful analogy. I'm, I'm thinking in the back of my mind how we can apply it to the, the business as well because we kind of run a premium kind of operation as well. And I love the idea that you're thinking about it from a longer perspective. Like if you're going to own this for five to 10 years, like wouldn't you want to get something a little bit nicer? It's going to last you. You're going to be happy with not to break down. You have to call customer service. So I think that's a beautiful way of putting it, you know, putting yourself in their shoes to really add the additional benefit over a longer term period. Um, I'm, I'm curious, how does that play in terms of messaging as well, because if it's, you know, every five to 10 years, you're going to get maybe a small percentage of people who are ready to buy versus a larger percentage of people who are existing customers who may buy in a year or two. How does that kind of um, dictate some of your marketing and sales activities? Well, um, the nice thing about the Philippines is that from a penetration standpoint of, you know, the the fully automatic, the, the latest technology, so to speak, of, of, of appliances, um, we're not there yet. Like, you know, based on the latest data that we have, for example, um, fully automatic washing machines front load only have a penetration rate of about 30 to 35%. Um, so there's a huge segment of the population that, you know, is either on those semi-automatic or manual ones. Mm -hmm. And you also have this... Uh, belief in the Philippine market that there are some things that you really just need to hand wash. So using that as an example, it allows us to tailor fit who we're targeting and, and our messaging. So <clears throat> if we're targeting someone who's, you know, using a competitive front load washing machine uh, and is, um, is looking to replace it because it's been damaged, for example, or they've had a bad customer service experience in the other brands, then that's one entire messaging track that can happen. Um, the other one is, you know, someone who is moving from a um, semi-automatic or a top load to a front load. So it's an upgrade experience, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that upgrade experience can be my old machine is five years. I need to upgrade or I just got married. It's my first appliance to buy. I used to use a machine at home that my mom helped me out. So lots of different but real scenarios on how the messaging and the marketing activities can be adjusted to. Um, and again, given the fact that the penetration of appliances in the Philippines is not as high as our other countries, it just gives us a whole range of, you know, messaging tracks that we can use at this point. And um, honestly, the challenge a lot of times is not going out of your consistent messaging because, you know, you're so tempted to change the message just because it's, you know, you want something new. 
but again, consistency in the message and in the approach is going to be great because you sell something. I sell something to you, Joe, today. Mm -hmm. um, chances are in three to four years, you'll probably have an, an issue with either what I sold you or in another thing in your kitchen, let's say your stove, that I can potentially reach out to you. So, you know, messaging after the sale, keeping that relationship alive is very important to appliances because we have a five to 10 year you know, uh, life range. So the messaging has so many facets that we can tack on to, again, which are based on real-life consumer experiences. So once again, some very, I love the way you think. It's very, very practical. I, I want to highlight a couple of things. I want to hand it over to Mia. But two things, I think the first of which you talked about is consistency. I think it takes a lot of discipline for a brand, uh, especially the size of Electrolux, to be very consistent in terms of messaging. I see a lot of brands who are kind of flip-flopping all over the place, and you don't really know what they stand for. And what, like you said, when you have a customer who's a long-term one and, you know, you're looking to, you know, renew them in, you know, five, 10 years or cross-sell and upsell, I think that messaging is extremely important. Um, there's another thing you mentioned at the beginning, which I thought was very, very good too. It slipped through my mind. Um, I'll hand it back to Mia first and then I'll jump back in. Yeah. So, I, Joe, I like that you pointed out the consistency of messaging because I, I agree that I feel like that's very important to help people keep the messaging in mind. But what I love about it is how uh, Electrolux is translating this consistent messaging into different human experiences so that people who are going through different phases in life can relate to that messaging in, in the ways that they're experiencing it. And I think that's so important because you're right. Um, in the Philippines, because people are so price sensitive and because maybe uh, certain appliances last long, they, they want to get the most out of their appliances. These experiences are what are what's going to speak to them. And I thought I thought that was that was brilliant. I actually, yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. I think Mia did a much better job of articulating than I did. But I think one thing that I want to highlight is a lot of brands have like these um, personas they develop, and they sound a little bit generic and fluffy, and they're yes. not super helpful. And I love the way that you explained it, like someone who was going from an upgrade and maybe they're getting married or whatever that transition to life is. I think going back to Mia's point, it's actual human experience versus like someone you see, you know, some, some fictional character that you're, you're drafting up and it has all these attributes, but it doesn't really, you know, paint a picture for the marketing sales and the customer service teams in terms of who this customer actually is. So once again, I, I love the very practical way in which you think about marketing. Um, it's, it's, it's simple, but it's very powerful. So I think a lot of, you know, marketers should pay note and listen to how Chad explains it because I think it's a beautiful way of um, articulating it. Um, oh, thank you. Um, and it's really learning. It's a good learning experience for me because a lot of what, you know, we've been doing in Electrolux is obviously benchmarked on Swedish cultural values. Um, there's a strong focus on experiences um, being practical yet innovating at the same time and you know sustainability from a Swedish standpoint is not just a, a byword but it's literally part of everything that we do so you know which is why the experience has been so great for me because um, I've learned a lot in my previous um, you know experiences as a marketing guy and along comes this you know this brand called Electrolux which kind of flips over um, and incorporates a lot of the things that I learned so it, it's been a, it's been an amazing journey so far. Yeah, and that's a very good point in terms of, like you said, um, translating some of the Swedish values to like the Philippines market. I'm guessing there's some, some overlap. You talked about things like sustainability. Um, is, that, is that how you would kind of transition between like a global brand and making it a bit more local for the, for the Philippine audience? Well, um, 
Yes, but you know, obviously, uh, as we talk, let's say sustainability. Um, sustainability means a lot of different things in Europe, in in, in Asia, in the United States, uh, and even within uh, Asia. Um, you know, it's a whole range of cultures. Uh, Southeast Asia would be different on it versus Northeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, what what we've discovered from a Southeast Asia standpoint is sustainability is obviously tied in a lot more to health. Um, you know, with what you take into your body through food. Um, you know, we're a very food-based culture. Um, we have a lot of family gatherings that's all around food. Um, so the taste experience is very critical when it comes to that, uh, tying that into clean water as well. Um, air quality has always been an issue in Asia, um, in particular countries, but it's a growing concern. So, you know, um, taking the Swedish um, and the you know, Electrolux core values of sustainability and bringing that to life in the Philippines is, is not going to be easy because one, we have to really capture what that means for Filipinos, not just for Southeast Asia. Um, and secondly, there's a lot of, you know, what I, uh, it's, it's a paradox for me because a lot of consumers are looking for brands that drive sustainability. But there's also a lot of distrust from consumers when they see brands talk about it because they say, you guys are just saying that because it's a marketing thing and it's, and it's a trend nowadays, right? Mm-hmm. So bring it back is how do we make the sustainability um, you know, part of Electrolux to be relevant to the consumer, to be useful and to be meaningful um, because again, if it's not useful, meaningful, or relevant, then sustainability will just, you know, it'll go over their heads and they'll, they'll ignore it. So that's a challenge and not easy at all, but, you know, um, that's why we're here. Once again, a very pragmatic uh, <laughs> explanation. If I just recap, you talked about, you know, sustainability is something that can be applied to a global level, but at each region, even even sub-region, you know, look at Asia, look at Southeast Asia, you know, you really have to understand what does it mean for that, that local audience. So you give an example of Southeast Asia, food is, is, is massive. Um, and so, you know, making it relatable to food, it makes it easier to understand. If you talk about other things like you would talk about in Europe, there's, like you said, there's going to be a disconnect between how people understand it. It's the same concept. It's the same umbrella concept. But the way you explain it to someone in Europe versus, you know, Southeast Asia has to be very different. And I love that, you know, that understanding, once again, that the human context of, you know, food, family is, is huge in Southeast Asia. So how do you relate it to that to make it very easy for them to comprehend? Yeah, exactly. And just closing off that and this circles back to the first question and what we talked about in our previous discussion is that's why it's very critical to really know your consumer, right? Like it sounds like a cliche, but with all of these things that's happening, if, if you don't listen to the consumer, then everything's just going to fly over their heads. And we all know that a lot of marketing budgets have been cut. So, you know, the, the best way to make your marketing budget really work for you is just listen. And, you know, it's been a challenge for everyone. It really pays off when you do. Yeah, no, I, I think one more question I want to wrap up because that's a very good point in terms of prioritization. Now, now with marketing budgets getting cut, how do you prioritize where you, where you put your budgets? Now it's the finance guy as well. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the toughest thing to do, uh, you, know, in, in the, you know, when you discuss marketing budgets because, um, you know, marketing as always has been a mixture of having short-term immediate impact and long-term brand building. Um, and a lot of times, as painful as a discussion it may seem, um, a lot of activities have to be cut um, because you need to prioritize short term, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, from you know, we I personally have two two ways to prioritize. One is uh, marketing activities. One is 
do any of them, you know, really make us useful, meaningful, and relevant today? Mm -hmm. um, and if it's not today, but it's, you know, useful, meaningful, and relevant next year or the next one to two years, I would generally deprioritize that one. Um, so one. And two is making sure that the brand is just out there, but in the most um, impactful way, right? You know, ordinarily in normal times, you'd have a budget on driving um, a lot of search marketing, a lot of social-based marketing. You'd have tactical television or radio. Um, nowadays, it's just making sure that using occasional bursts of activity in the most relevant context, you know, how can you be present in the, or how can consumers continue to be aware of you, especially since our number one driver of awareness, which is retail, mm -hmm. is not really a viable aspect nowadays, right? So um, it's a bit of a vague answer, but that's how we generally look at it. Um, obviously, there's no playbook to this in that sense that, you know, speaks of it, but that's how we look at it. So we prioritize useful, meaningful, and relevant now, today, in the next couple of months. We deprioritize a little bit. That's what's going to happen for next year and the next two years. Um, and it's being top, ensuring that you're aware, you're present in the mind of the consumer by using specific bursts of activity in very relevant touch points. No, I, I think it's a, it's a, you know, it is very difficult to explain, but I think it is helpful, like you said, to prioritize what's going to have the most impact today. Maybe deprioritizing, especially now when you know the economy is kind of kind of down, um, and so a lot of industries have been hit hard they're fo focusing on maybe the short-term goals but I guess hopefully once the you know the economy picks back up then the long-term initiatives still carry a bit more weight would you say yeah. okay yeah. Well, well wonderful I think that was everything me any any Mia anything last you want to add in there I think I think I just have one last question because I looked into chat a little bit before this conversation of ours, and I saw one of the things that he posted online on how he is a brand builder, and he encourages people to be a brand builder regardless of function. What does that mean to you? Uh, I, I've, I've always had you know, success um, in, in whatever work I'm doing, um, as I mentioned to you both, when when we keep the consumer in mind, right? And a lot of people in, in companies nowadays think that keeping the consumer in mind is the job of marketing or, or product. Um, but when you are able to get the other functions that are traditionally inward looking, like finance, supply chain, um, even HR, for example, when they start thinking of you know, having the consumer in mind, um, it, it changes the conversation. Like, you know, again, using a generic but very relevant example, e-commerce. Um, a lot of people think that the, the way to win in e-commerce is having the right product at the great price and making some noise on social media, on, on, you know, on social media and digital. That's very important. But what we've learned, and this is not a secret because I got it from Amazon's book, The Everyday Store, 99% um, of the challenge of exploding your e-commerce business it's on the last mile experience, right? It's the moment that you pay, but it's getting the product as quick as you can from your store or your warehouse to the consumer's hands. And that typically is where 99% of the problems come. That's where cancellations happen. And quite frankly, that kind of a problem can only be solved if it's led by the supply chain team. So when we had that conversation with the supply chain team and the supply chain team was started to think of it from a consumer perspective on, I want to get my refrigerator right away. 
right? Why should I wait seven to 10 days on it when my food is melting? It, it changes the conversation. And then they start to become brand builders. So that's why I said, you know, I love making brand builders out of everyone regardless of the function because I don't think marketing has or should have the monopoly of thinking about it from a consumer standpoint. If every function starts thinking about it that way, then that's how you create a lot more value. And again, this pandemic has accelerated digital transformation, so to speak. Um, and, you know, but even before that, when people start thinking about the consumer, then you start questioning also, do I really need to do all of these things if it doesn't add value? So that, that's what I meant. That's so uh, it's again. This is a, this has been a wonderful, wonderful experience. I really appreciate you sharing your time, Chad. I, I've learned a lot. I'm sure Mia feels probably the same way. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Thanks so much, you two. I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and you know, I, I look forward to watching all the other types of you know content that you both pull out, uh, Joe as well. Thank you very much for this, time. Thank you so much. So, last last question, Chad, is where can people uh, get in touch with you or find out more about you? Uh, well, I'm on social media, so on Facebook, uh, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, it's all Chad Sotelo. Um, you know, my email address is also chadsotelo at, at Gmail, so shoot me a note, drop me a tweet, send me a message on Facebook, uh, and I'll be happy to, you know, have a conversation with you. There you go. Get in touch with Chad. Follow him. You'll learn a ton. Thank you so much, Chad. And if you're watching, please feel free to share this with your, your fellow leaders or anyone who might find this helpful. Otherwise, thanks so much, and we'll see you next time. Take care, guys. Thanks. Right. Bye.